9. They're still there. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to cover, give us a, 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 a survey of the, of the whole book so that uh, we have, so the other teachers will have time to teach too. So it'll take me, it, it would take us a year and a half to go through if we did a chapter at a time. Uh, so that's, that's what happened. I will try to give us the context of what's going on in these chapters as I work through, but we're moving on to the third section. Now let's, uh, let's pray and get started. Jeff, welcome back. Would you lead us in prayer, please? Okay, so we have divided the, the book into four sections in order for us to get through this uh, the way we're doing it, an overview. And the first section being the introduction to the Son of Man. Then the second, what we spent the last three weeks looking at, would be the ministry of the Son of Man. And now we move forward to the third section covering chapters 9 to 18, the rejection of the Son of Man. And there are some things that uh, I just want to point out. We see the opposition. Now, during these chapters, uh, what's going on in the ministry is lots of miracles, lots of teaching that goes on. But in the midst of all of this, there's those that are in opposition to Jesus. They're, they're against him. They don't want him. And so just to point out some of those, uh, in chapter 9, verses 51 to 53, we see... Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, picks up in verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, and they went and they entered the village of, some, of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So this is a rejection of Christ uh, based on just society, on culture. And what happened here was, uh, you know the background, the Samaritans are not, uh, they're not Jews by race, they, they're not ethnically, they were uh, brought in by the Assyrians years ahead uh, when they would take over a region, they would bring in, they would take people from other regions and bring them in to try to, to beat down the patriotism, any kind of problems that would occur. And so these are the descendants of those people that were brought in. And we know from the situation with Jesus, with the woman at the well, that there, was, there, were, there were problems, there were issues between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so we see that it's still there. Because he's on his way to Jerusalem, you remember there was, a, there was that debate with the woman at the well, you know, where the Jews see Jerusalem as being a place of importance and the Samaritans didn't. So there was this argument going on. So they didn't want to receive Jesus because of this. And then in chapter 10, verses 25, to 29, um, we see uh, that the lawyer in verse 25 questions Jesus. Uh, and so it's, he's in verse 25, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? So it's interesting. He would ask the lawyer, Well, what's written in the law? Uh, how does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. 
But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, so the, the lawyer, interesting position here, this is a position that started during the captivity. So we don't see that, never happened, there was not a position before that. It could be either a, um, uh, a Pharisee or a Sadducee. In Jesus' day, it was mostly Pharisees, and eventually the position of the lawyer would evolve into what we call today uh, the rabbi. So this is a, a religious leader, and he's an expert on the law, and he challenges Jesus. There's three statements that show his challenge. First one being verse 25, he stood up. So this tells us this, this was an official instruction time, teaching time of Christ. And the way you would, you, you would challenge or the way you would question or engage in this is that you would stand up and approach the teacher that way. So he's challenging him. We see that he's testing him in verse 25. He puts him to the test. This is the reason for him standing up. And then in verse 29, we see that he's wishing to justify himself. So we're seeing things about the lawyer and his dependence upon the law for justification. And we know from the book of Romans and from Hebrews that the problem with the law is not the law itself because the law is good, it's the character of God, but the problem with the law is me. I can't keep it. And uh, in Romans, uh, weak as I, weak, what was insufficient in the law was me, weak in the flesh. You know, that God had to take care of this in Christ. So we see these two oppositions to Jesus. Now, we probably don't have a big issue understanding this or even agreeing with it. See, an opposition to Jesus from a Samaritan, we understand how that comes to be. The opposition of Jesus from a lawyer, we understand. all the way to 42. And it's a familiar story of Mary and Martha and having Jesus in their home. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then, let, then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There's one thing that she's, she's missing. I think it's interesting, you know, thinking about one thing that Jesus also told the rich young ruler the same thing. There's one thing. You know, he, that rich young ruler was, he said, I, I keep the law. And he says, you know, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't debate him on that. You know, that he's a good law keeper. But what he says is this, there's still one thing. And he tells him there to you know, sell all that you possess, give to the poor, and come be with me. Uh, and here I think we find a similar, um, similar situation. So the problem we see is uh, found in verse 40. Here, um, uh, going back to verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparation. So she's distracted. And the word means to be drawn away. You're drawn away. 
this is, uh, this is something that we see as, as being an issue for mankind. Bless you. In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, in Luke, saying in Luke, over in chapter 8, so we, we talked a little bit, we showed something in 9, now we're going to go back to 8. And here Jesus uh, is giving the parable of the sower. And in verse 7, he says this, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And then he goes on to describe uh, or explain the parable. And the seed is the word. And in verse 14, he says this about the word, about the seed. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And then in Matthew chapter 14, And beginning in verse 28, Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Okay, so the disciples are in the boat by themselves, and they see Jesus coming, walking on the water. So Peter makes this statement, and Christ responds in verse 29 by saying, come. Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. Then verse 30, but seeing the wind. While he's, while he's looking to Jesus, he's walking on the water, but then he's distracted. He sees the wind. He looks at what's going on around him. And he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? So he was distracted by the wind. Then, on the screen, I have uh, from Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the angel of the Lord, I'm sorry, the angel of the church in Ephesus write, or to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. So Jesus speaks now. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. An incredible description of this church. And he's saying, these, I know all these things about you. And that and I think and I think in seeing this, we see that it's possible for us to do good. It's possible for us in and of ourselves to do good, to know right doctrine, to be determined that we you know, we uphold it, that you know, to hold each other to it. We can have the rules and regulations, we can do this. And Jesus goes on, he says this, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Distraction is something that is very real for the church. We can be distracted. We can be drawn away. Any thoughts with this? Jesus says one thing. What do you think the one specific thing is? 
We're, we're, we're moving to that. Yeah, we are going to get to that. And if I end up not answering it, it'll be because I'm not following my notes, so remind me. All right? Anything else? Okay. What is it in this particular case that she that draws her away? Well, back in our text, we see in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her what? Preparations. Distracted by all her preparations. And the word means to, to be uh, serving or waiting. Actually, uh, uh, same would, would refer to waiting on tables. Or serving with, with genuine love. But serving. My, I'm using the NAS, and in the marginal notes, it says that it literally means much service. So we kind of we look at this now, and we see that she's distracted by her service, her genuine service, much service. And but, but if we look at this, what we realize is that she was drawn away from Jesus by her service for Jesus. Now, maybe that makes you uncomfortable. It, it's, it's a sobering thing. I mean, I had to keep looking at this all week. The way I prepare is I start on Monday morning, and then every morning I, I keep going over the passage and adding some things to it and taking some things out. And then Saturday morning I, I work on the slides and get everything put together. And every day I've had to look at this, being distracted from Jesus by our service for Jesus. And it's been a challenge for me. It's been a very challenging week. You know, we as a family are having to deal with something that's it's, it, we, it, we've been dealing with it for three months, trying to make something come to, 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 together, and right now we're, we're right on the edge of it now, and it's either going to work or not work this week, and I can become very distracted. And I get on a plane in the morning and fly off, and so I won't be here to take care of the end of the thing. So I, it's really frustrating. We're working with a bank, okay, so and trying to get some financing put together for a purchase, and it's... And it's really, it's a big deal for the family. And I'm very frustrated. And I've been very distracted. And I keep looking at this and I keep trying to think, okay, you know, justifying, uh, yeah, this is all true, but this doesn't apply to me. It's not the situation I'm in right now. Oh, yes, it is. I can be very distracted. You know, getting, getting the Sunday school lesson together. You know, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this for the Lord. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, I've got this situation over here, but I can handle this thing. You know, and, and I'm, I'm just drawn away. We can be drawn away from Jesus by our very service for Jesus. I found this story one time that I thought was really interesting. The Taj Mahal, you know, the history of it is that the, the ruler of the region, his, his, the way I read it, it was his favorite wife, which I kind of think, that's kind of strange. But anyway, yeah, it does. He was, you know, he, I may, yeah, it was, I see it here, it was his favorite wife. Okay, so anyway, she passes away, and he was so grieved that he wanted to build this monument to her. And so the way he went about doing it is first he took the coffin and he placed it in a certain area and then he started to construct the building around the coffin as a memorial to his wife. 
And you know, if you've if you've looked into this, you knew it took years to build this thing. It's it's one of the wonders of the world. And and a few years into the construction of the Taj Mahal, he was walking through inspecting the the the, the work, and he tripped over a box, and he got aggravated, and he had him throw the box away. And it took months before he realized that he had thrown the coffin away. Uh, you know, the, the construction of the building had become more important to him than the memory of his wife in whom the building was supposed to be a reminder of. And, uh, you know, I think we can find ourselves guilty of the same thing. We get so busy for Jesus that we forget all about Jesus. Any thoughts with that? <laughs> so, what is, what is supposed to be a good thing? See, it's not that we, we shouldn't be about serving. You know, it, it, the book of James says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So works is supposed to be a reality in our life, but the works are what? They're a result of our faith. They're not a way to faith. So what is supposed to be a good thing, her serving the tables, what is supposed to be a good thing, and what is supposed to be a good thing for us can become an activity of worry and a source of being bothered. And that's what we see as we move on. In verse 41, we see that, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Worried and bothered. The Worried means to be anxious. So she's distracted from Jesus by her own self-made anxiety. I found this statement, don't know who originally said it, but they said this, worry is faith in the negative. Trust in the unpleasant. Assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worry clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. I have found this, that everyone lives by faith. We either live by faith in Christ or we live by faith in ourselves. We either live at peace or with anxiety. Yes? Anybody else? Any other thoughts? The Bible tells us that we're to be anxious for nothing. 
Philippians 4, 6, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, I, I don't want to be heard saying that there's, there aren't events in life that are a big deal. You know, there's, that there aren't times in life that are trying. But these, these are opportunities for us to trust the Lord and, and to, to move in those things, to deal with them trusting Him. I appreciate Paul's words in Colossians 1, right at the end of the chapter, I think it's verse 28, where he says, I strive and I labor according to His power, which mightily works within me. He also said, I can do all things. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So it's not that there are, are not issues to deal with in life, but we are given all that is necessary to deal with them in Christ. So she's anxious, and in verse 41, she's also bothered. So it's the, it, which refers to being disordered or confused. Fun fact, a dense fog that covers seven city blocks about 100 feet deep is composed of less than one glass of water, divided into 60,000 million drops. Not much is there, but it can cripple an entire city. You know, when you really think about it, Colossians 2 says this, that Jesus is the head of of all rule and authority. So no matter what we face in life, Jesus has it. And for us to be worried and bothered because we can't, we have to do something, we have to fix this, we can't control this, for us to be so worried and depending upon ourselves is really worrying over something that's it's just, there's not much there. You say, well, how can you say this? It's a hor yeah, I'm not saying it's not a horrible thing, but it's in Christ's hands. He's the head of all rule and authority, so really, there's not much there. Now, if you're frustrated and aggravated with some of the things I'm saying and uncomfortable with it, well, you're just in my company. <laughs> I've, you know, I, like I said, I, I've, I've had to, this has been in my face all week. And then comes verse 42, where he says, only one thing is necessary. And he alludes to the fact that Mary knows the one thing, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What is the one thing then? If Mary, if, if Mary has chosen it, what, what do we know about Mary in this passage? Right, in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who was seated at, his feet, at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. The word listening, it simply means to pay attention and respond. 
So it's not just hearing, but it's acting. That's what, that's what the word means. She's listening. She's hearing it, and she's responding to it. The same thing in chapter 9. Here, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. And, you know, Jesus takes some of the disciples with him. Jesus is changed before them. And Elijah and Moses appear, and they're, they're, the three are, are, are talking with each other. The disciples are witnessing all of this. And then Peter gets excited, and he says, let's build three tabernacles, and let's just, just, you know, just stay here. It's a wonderful place. And then the, the, the Lord's voice, God's voice is heard. In verse 35, he says, Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, and it's with an exclamation point. I think you know, God's a little bit, you're missing it, Peter. And he says, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It's, you know, we can, we get so ahead of the Lord, don't we? With our worry, our anxiety, we start to decide what is the right thing for Jesus to say. We, we, you know, we, and I think so often that's why I don't hear what he has to say because I've already decided what he's going to say. It's the same word there. Listen, hear, and respond. Pay attention and move. Any thoughts with listening? Yeah, it's, there's these things that happen in life where we, that the Lord does work in our heart and he does, do, he does do things. Sometimes we don't see it. And there's been two instances in my life where that's, that's happened in a big way. And, and one was, was a younger man just out of Bible college. And the Lord used an incredibly trying time for Arlene and me. Uh, in, in the church we were serving in. Uh, and then it was, the second was these last six years. And in both cases, th this is what I've come out of. I would not want to change those, those, uh, those experiences for anything. But, oh, Lord, I hope you never see fit to put me through it again. And if you were on the front side of it, about to go through it. Yeah, I said, I will not do this. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, which, which prophet was it uh, that was begging God? Oh, man, this is frustrating. He, just, God, do something, do something, do something. It could be Habakkuk. Yeah, it, it was Habakkuk. And, and God tells him, I am doing something. I'm sending the Assyrians in, and they're going to do this. And he responds with, not that. Yeah, don't do that. You know, uh, but it's, you know, it's, and I think as parents, we understand the same thing in, in, in parenting children. You know, sometimes there's things that we have to do. And, you know, they're begging you not to do it. You know, like how many, how many times have we heard as parents, I'm already crying. Is that enough? <laughs> and, you know, and you feel horrible when you say, nope, <laughs> it's not. And because, why? Because we love them and we, you know, we, we want them. We, we want them to know more. Sonny Westbrook used to be the director at, um, uh, at his hill. And I remember him saying one time, there's, there's times in our life when we're walking with the Lord, and they're just, it's wonderful mountaintop experiences. And we just tell Jesus, this is so wonderful, Lord. Let's just stay here. And he says, the Lord always responds with no. Because I want you to have it all. And so he knows there's things that he has to be about taking away from us, working out of us. Uh, in Romans 8, we love the passage, don't we? That God's causing all things to work together for good to them that love the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times we hear students, you know, use that passage, you know, in, in, their, in, in chapels. You know, he's working all things together for good. But, you know, we've got to be careful. Because we start to interpret Scripture according to our ears, to what, how we want it to be. And we interpret the good as being, oh, God's going to take this away, or God's going to bring this, and He's going to work it out this way. But as you keep reading the passage, you find out what God's good is. And the very next verse in Romans 8 says, He's conforming us to the image of His Son. That's His good. He's removing what is not Jesus. And it really is, you know, when we come to the end of these things, there, that's, there is an incredible time, an opportunity to be thankful because you're just left with the assurance that, that Jesus has all this. He is the head of all rule and authority. And then we go on, and again, back to verse 42. Jesus says this about the one good thing. It shall not be taken away from her. It shall not be taken away from her. And so within the context of what's going on here, what would be that one good thing? So, Jim, here it comes. In verse 20 of chapter 10, it says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So the apostles are so excited over things that have happened. But he says, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice. This is not going to be taken away from you. What? Being his. Belonging to Jesus will never be taken away from you. And Mary is taken with this. She's at his feet and she's listening. She's taken. And this will not be taken away from her. It's easy for us to be distracted. 
I think it's natural. It's part of our flesh. It's easy for us to be distracted from Jesus. Colossians 2.8. I think I have it. No, I don't. But Colossians 2.8 says this. Well, we've got time, so let's turn to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. This is one of those verses that you know I go to a lot. And it's, it's a verse where I, I think you could spend easily, bless you, you could easily spend a whole week just, just meditating on. But see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. See, we're supposed to be taken captive. We're supposed to be taken captive to Christ. We were made for this. We had a, a student one time. Uh, well, actually, it's his sister. I, I was given the opportunity to teach another center, another torchbearer center, and this young lady walked up to me and told me that she was, um, she was the sister of this former student of ours. And I said, really? I said, well, how's he doing? And she went from smiling face, you know, I'm, I'm his sister, to, well, he, he's, he's not doing very well. I said, really? What's wrong? And she said, well, he really struggled after coming home, and he just, uh, he just walked away from the Lord. Before I came to Bible school, he pulled me aside. And he was very emphatic with her. Got in her face, and he said this, Whatever you do, do not waste your time at Bible school like I did at Bible school. Now, you need to understand what he was like. He was one of the students that really wanted to live different. Lived different. He wanted to live that change that's supposed to be a reality for the believer. And he pursued this. He was one of the, he, he was, he was one of the students that was serious about being there. He wasn't one that was goofing off. He wasn't one that was being a problem. He was part of a group that went to our assistant director toward the end of the year. There were several of them that went to him. They were frustrated because we have, we have this thing called discipleship group, and, and we, we give these books out. We read the books together, and then we discuss the book and at the end of the week in a discipleship time. And this was the third book of the year that had been passed out. They went to the assistant director of the time, and they said, okay, listen. Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me. We get it. When do we move on to something else? And with that attitude, later in life, he realized he was wasting his time. And he encouraged his sister, don't waste your time. And he basically told her, because this is the result. 
I know a man who was a pastor for years. And he actually was one of our guest lecturers. I brought him to be a guest lecturer. And the reason I brought him is because he was known for his teaching, his clarity in teaching and encouraging people to Jesus. That Jesus alone, for the non-believer and for the believer, is the only answer. Be taken with Jesus. Listen to him. Respond to him. And so we had him come and teach. And then uh, after years of this, out of frustration, because he had been teaching this for years, out of frustration because nobody in the church was responding, he decided that we need to do something else. So what he did is he took some of the leaders of his church, they went out to California to Saddleback, they took the course for the seeker-friendly movement. They brought it back to their church. And uh, a good friend of mine confronted him with this. He said, what are you doing? You know, you've been teaching us that it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Listen to him. Be focused on Jesus. Trust him alone. What are we doing? And his response was this, I know, but nobody's responding, so we have to do something. See how easy it is to be distracted, and this was the result. The church adopted an emotional style of music, and that's just what it was. It was every service was an attempt to try to evoke something in the members. So they ended up with this emotional music. They ended up with women leading the church, not the men. Divorce and remarriage was throughout the church, preached from the pulpit, how it's okay. Even one of the elders ended up being divorced and remarried. They adopted a thing called theophostic prayer which means God light prayer. And it's something that you cannot participate in without having a facilitator. So that means uh, if I want to engage in theophostic prayer, then Jeff has to be my facilitator. He has to talk me through it as it's going on. And he'll be trained to tell me things like, if... Uh, you see Jesus, and it scares you to see Jesus. Don't worry about it, because it's not Jesus you see, it's Satan. And as you are in this prayer, you end up having conversations. You see Jesus, you start to have conversations with Jesus, and then you, uh, then you live your life according to what Jesus has told you. And this is huge violation of Scripture. And I only tell you about this, because, and then they go on to, well, it just goes on and on and on, okay? But it's so far away. See, how his ministry for decades was this, Jesus and Jesus alone. Look to Jesus, trust Jesus, listen to Jesus, respond to Jesus. And when things don't happen the way we think it's supposed to happen, it's very easy for us to be distracted and to be about everything but Jesus. Are you neglecting the one thing?
Are you worried and bothered? We're not, I, 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 my childhood pastor was quite the character. First man I ever heard, and I was, I was uh, just about to enter into high school when he became our pastor. It's the first man I ever heard preach Christ. Not the first man I ever heard, you know, explain the gospel, explain our need for Jesus. Not the first man I ever heard say we need to put our faith in Jesus, but the first man I ever heard preach Christ and explain that Christ is not just a ticket to heaven, but he is to be your life. And he used to tell us this. His name was Jim Merriman. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But he used to say this. We are not supposed to be circumstance-controlled Christians, but Christ-controlled Christians. Very simple. Not circumstance-controlled. Christ-controlled. Are we listening to Jesus? Are we responding? Any thoughts before we pray? And it's really sobering to me to think that, because I've known him for years, to know that that was not how he always thought. So it's just a reminder to me that it's so easy, it's so simple for us to be distracted and worried. Yes, ma'am. Right. You know, we were talking about that last week. You know, Paul's very thing, his fear of the church in 2 Corinthians was not that we would, that we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't witness. It wasn't that we wouldn't stop, that we would stop worshiping. It wasn't that we would stop reading our Bible. It says there that I fear lest as the, Satan, lest as the serpent deceives Eve with his craftiness that you're, you would be, wow, somebody was beating me to it, led astray. Go ahead. Well, we just see it as well. We get so caught up in life. Yeah. So stuck in life. We don't realize, like you said, like as a mother, I'm so busy thinking, like, I got to feed into my kids constantly and raise them right. And sometimes I get sucked into it with my children and just being overwhelmed with mm. wanting to raise them mm-hmm. perfect that I lose my eye on that. We do get distracted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thank you. And that's what we were, that Jim and I were talking about, that we can be led astray from the simplicity and purity to Christ. And it, it's, so it's simple. Now, Paul didn't say it's easy. He said it's simple. 
You know, there, 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 is, there are these things, there are legitimate things that are they're scary things. They're big deals. But, they're, but because we are His, the one who promises that He never leaves, He never forsakes, we are not left alone to deal with these things in and of ourselves. But the one who has them all in His hand, we belong to. All right, it's your fault. I finished early. You kept going. So I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, and we'll go. Father, thank you for loving us, for pursuing us, for insisting that we live according to the image, your image, that we were created in. But thank you that you have gone and lived the very demand through your son, Jesus. We ask for your wisdom to sit at his feet and to listen to him. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, folks.